welcome tag. Everybody has to work. All right. Okay. So, all right. Um, I need a volunteer. I need Brittany. Where's Brittany? Nope, Brittany. I already asked Brittany. I asked her ahead of time. So, um, Brittany's been nice enough to, to do something for me, be willing to come up here. Um, this, this is what we're going to call the millennial test. Okay? And, and what I have up here are three things, right? Do you know what this is? A map. Do you know what it's for? Of telling where things are, finding directions, and getting somewhere, right? We all want to know what a map is, right? Okay. Okay. Do you know what this is? It's a clock. What is a clock for? Telling time. Okay, rock on. And what is this? Camera. And what's a camera for? Taking pictures. Okay. So, let's, let's be clear. She knows exactly what these are all are, what they're called, right? She knows what they're for, too. Now, here's the big test. I need you to um, get the film out of this camera. Yeah, take the film out. Get it all the way out. Okay, so I'll get it. So what, what's wrong with this picture? Right, so if you've you ever used one that you just destroyed all the pictures on this camera. Yes, I know. And you should know that the, pers the person I asked up front, I said, do you care if the film gets destroyed? Which, by the way, is your mother. So, <laughs> and she said, she said, I don't, she said, I don't care. Huh? Those are her baby pictures. All of them. They're gone. All right. All right. So, um, the next question is this, and don't, don't help her. What time does this clock say? Ah! Stop! It's being ridiculous. 540. Hey, she did good. It's 540. That's impressive. Most people, there's a fun, the reason I picked this particular one is because um, there's a study that now shows they're removing clocks from different places because millennials just can't read them. All right. Now, and, and by the way, again, your mother was wrong. I asked if she could, you could read the clock, and she said no. Well, guess what? She knows how to read the clock. All right. Okay. So the next thing is this map of Kentucky. Now, the question is, can you find... Lexington on this map. 
You found Lexington. Awesome. Now here's the big test. Can you fold this map back up the way it was? Probably not. <laughs> what? Nobody can? Are you serious? You don't think you can? I'll give you candy if you can do it in under a minute. All right? Let's see what she does. Let's see how she does folding it back up. I mean, these things are easy to fold back up, right? What? Come on! Oh, just give up. I'll give you candy anyways. There's a reason why these... Th I'm not going to try either. They can't be done. All right. So <laughs> I warned her up front she wouldn't be able to do any of these things. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. All right. So... We have a camera that, as far as I know, works just fine. We have a clock that we all saw. It's questionable whether or not that works right now. Um, and we have a map, and a map is valuable. It has a purpose, right? Brittany said what it was. What was the purpose? Find your way. So, so all three of these things, she knows what they are, right? She knows what they're supposed to do, but she doesn't know how to use them, Right? Apparently, none of us know how to use a map, or at least fold a map back up, right? That's according to Diane. That's impossible. Nobody can do that, right? Are there things in your life that you know what they are, and you know what they're supposed to do, but you don't know how to use them? And yes, I know there's feedback. We're working on it, right? Okay. Are there any things in your life that you can think of that you're like, wow, I know what that is, I know what it does, and I don't know how to use it. Some of you have computers at your house that somebody got you, and you're like, I know what they are, and I know what they're supposed to do, but I don't know how to use it, right? There are two iPads out there right now that we, we, you can check out different things on our website on. Can I tell you I'm an Android boy? So if you give me an Apple, I'm confused. Very, very confused. And I know what it's supposed to do. I know that, it, that supposedly Apple people say apples are amazing and they all work. I think you're all liars. But I can't get it to do that. Anything else? Is there anything else in your life that you have in your world that you just like? You know what it is. You can identify it. You can say it out loud. You, you, can, you know what it's supposed to do, but you just can't make it do it. Jim Hickey, you're going to die. He was pointing at his wife. Well, he's like her. I know what it... Dude. Wow. All right. Kids, I heard somebody say kids doing their chores, right? Okay. So, so here's my question. If you, even, even if you know what it is and you can identify it, and even if you know what it is and what it's supposed to do, if you can't get it to do it, then is it of any value to you? Madison says, so we're no value to you, Dad? 
He's back there going like this. I'm kidding. He's not. He's totally not. All right. And so over the next month, and I was telling Tom this morning, I prayed about this series for three weeks before I was willing to do it because God kept telling me I needed to do it. And I kept telling him I don't want to. Okay. Um, because the, the thing that we're going to talk about is something called the comfort of God. Because, you know, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 says that we, can you put that up there? I think that's your next slide, isn't it? It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Help me out. What does God's comfort look like? What is it? It's a feeling. Okay. What kind of feeling? A feeling of peace. Awesome. Great, great answers. Feeling of peace, right? Hope, a feeling of hope. Okay. Right? What else? Anything else that you would describe it as? Rest. So we've got peace. We've got hope. We've got rest, right? Great terms. Love, wonderful terms. The comfort of God are those things. Help me out some more. When do we need God's comfort? All the time. Okay. So we, we need the comfort of God often when we're in distress, right? When things are not going well, when we're recovering from grief or when we're um, dealing with some kind of loss or um, an affliction is, is the word I, we're going to get into in a minute. But just this pain, anguish. My wife right now is, is laying at home in, in, on the couch with my 13-year-old taking care of her, which is frightening to me. So um, she's, she's in a lot of pain right now, right? And, and, you know, my wife has been a strength for me in times of difficulty because she almost always recognizes that God's got it no matter what. I think everybody needs somebody like that in their life, right? But she's in affliction right now. She's in pain. And, and the comfort of God, it's those times when we feel hopeless. It's those times when things are not going well, when it's horrible, that we need the comfort of God. Yes, it's available always, but we recognize our need for it more when things are bad. And we know what it is, right? It's a sense of peace. It's a sense of, of love. It's a sense of hope. It's a sense of strength. It's a sense of that God is present, sense, a sense of presence that he has got this under control. So let me ask you another question. So when, how does God provide comfort? What are some of the ways he uses to provide you with comfort? Other people, okay? He uses the, the people within the body or those around you to comfort you in your difficult times, right? What else? His word, Shirley says his word. The word of God should be a comfort to us. Although if you were in our youth class this morning, we were reading um, uh, Psalm 88. And if you need comfort, I don't recommend reading Psalm 88. Huh? Or 22, we read that one as well. See, they're like not turning to that one, right? So, so he comes through his word. It comes through those people around him, right? Or people around you, what else? Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be the source of God's comfort. So, so let's, 
Let's talk about that. We, we know what it is. We can identify what God's comfort looks like. We, we know when we need it, when it's most available or should be most available, and we know how it comes about, how it happens. But the question we're going to wrestle with for the next month is, uh, where is it? Why do I feel like I need it sometimes and I can't find it? Because when you're in affliction, it's really hard to see God working when we're in our pain. As we were reading Psalm 88 this morning with the youth, uh, you know what, David is, is mad, he's upset. And he did not have a lot of nice things to say about where God was, did he? Not pleasant at all. This is a man after God's own heart, as Paul would say later. And how can a man after God's own heart not know where God is? That should give you solace, because if even David struggles with it, then we will probably struggle with it too. So we're going to take on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out there today that... Um, I, th- I think we'll, if we're all open and we're all listening, we'll probably make us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's probably going to rub you the wrong way. Um, I need to tell you that up front, and that's the part that I didn't want to. I didn't want to go there, um, but I'm really convicted that I need to. Okay, um, and the, and that's that. I think though we can describe God's comfort. Um, and what it is and how to find it, I think we often confuse it with something else. I think we um, confuse God's comfort with God making us comfortable. And those are similar words, but they are not the same thing. Because there's something about comfort. The comfort of God shows up when we need it most, and when we need it is when we're in distress, when things are bad. And I don't know about you, but I like to avoid those things that give me stress and afflict me and make me feel bad, right? Don't you? When was the last time you chose to dive into an ugly argument with somebody? Don't you just want to run away most of the time and avoid that? Would you choose to be angry or in pain or to have to lose sight in one of your eyes? Would you choose that ever? You would not. Nobody would choose that. And yet those things happen. And sometimes they happen and we get angry at God. We get mad that he's not there. When the fact is he is, the question is, is he meeting my standard or his standard? Because sometimes... God's not really concerned with, he is concerned with our comfort. He is not concerned with how comfortable we are. He's concerned with how committed we are. And there's a difference there. And so I want us to understand that. So this morning we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about first the avoidance problem because I avoid things that, that I think would cause me to be uncomfortable. But... But 
we're, and then we'll, we're going to talk about the human problem, and then we're going to talk about some signs that our faith, our Christianity might be too comfortable. And then we're going to talk about how to find this comfort of God that should find us in our afflictions. And then we will spend the next month talking about the difference between being comfortable in parts of our faith and being in God's comfort in our faith. Does that make sense? And the hope is it will challenge each and every one of us to recognize they are two very different things, that God desires to provide you comfort, but he does not desire to make us comfortable. With me? All right. So let's first talk about the avoidance problem. The avoidance problem is twofold. First, if we've never actually experienced God's comfort, then we, do we really understand how it works or the value it brings in our lives? If you are avoiding every possible discomfort in your life, then how will you ever experience what the comfort of God is? You can identify it. You can talk about it. You can say, I know what that is, and I know what it's supposed to feel like, and I know how it gets here, and I understand it, but I struggle to find the comfort of God. Maybe you struggle to find the comfort of God because you avoid the situations that might allow him to give you comfort. Because we often stop before we get to those situations. The second thing is this. It is the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus does not want you to avoid uncomfortable scenarios or situations in your life. Afflictions, some things just happen, and we get angry at God for it, but maybe we should be saying, how could God comfort me in this? How could he walk me through it? Because it's easy to get mad at God when things are not right. Right? But, but, I'm not even really at this point talking about true afflictions because I think we can't get past the minor ones first. And we'll get into that list in a minute, and that's where I think it'll rub you the wrong way. John 12, 25 and 26 says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am, and there my servant will also be. Does that give you the indication that God wants to be in a position to comfort you in your difficult times or that God wants you to be comfortable in, in difficulty? Um, Jesus, if you follow this, it says, where I am there, my servant will also be. Where was Jesus? Where did he end up going? To a cross. So if we, if we extrapolated this, we would say that if Jesus ended up dying to save us, and Jesus ended up hanging on a cross. Jesus ended up saying, my God, if you can take this cup away from me, please do, but your will be done, right? Do we, why should we think that we will never be in that situation if we are following Jesus? But will you avoid such a situation if you can help it? Yes, right? That's, that's the human problem, which is the next thing. The human problem is that we will often choose being comfortable over being obedient to the point of needing God's comfort. 
give you an example. Um, how many of you are super comfortable telling other who Jesus, others who Jesus Christ is, spreading the gospel actively and alive in your world with everybody you touch? If you're comfortable with that, raise your hand. Diane Clark, Holly, I love you. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Is that something we're all supposed to do? Okay. So if we're all supposed to do it, do we stop? Do we do we do it anyways because we're supposed to? Or do we not do it because it makes us uncomfortable? We choose often, very often, being comfortable over being obedient to the point of needing God's comfort. Okay? A professor I had in college, a friend of mine, said it this way. He said, the problem with living sacrifices is that they are always trying to crawl off the altar. Tell me that's not true, right? We are called to follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he went, and wherever he would send us to. Acts 1.8 says we will be his witnesses in all the world, right? And then if you read through the book of Acts, that wasn't a neat and pretty and comfortable thing to do. Paul got beaten to the point of death. Stephen got martyred, got killed for the gospel, Right? Different apostles argued with one another. Peter and Paul argued with each other over whether or not the Gentiles had to be circumcised first before they could become followers of Christ. There were uncom- Acts is filled with uncomfortable situations. None of that is easy because Jesus never promised you it would be easy. He promised you it would be worth it. Right? And yet, I think oftentimes we will choose easy because it keeps us comfortable instead of obedient. And we miss out on the comfort of God and the power of God and the strength of God and just experiencing the presence of God. Talk about the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says that, you know, go all, into all the world, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things you know, I, I've taught you, and I will be with you till the end of your days. It doesn't, does it not strike you as funny that that comes after, the commitment to be with you till the end of your days comes after the you're going out and doing. And yet I think we sometimes wonder where God is when we're not going where he's going, when we're not doing what he would have us do. He's doing. The question is, are we doing? Or are we choosing to say, this makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to do it? Are we crawling off the altar? I would venture to say yes. Me too. I keep saying we for a reason. Again, remember, I fought with God for weeks. I didn't want to do this. I was trying to crawl off the altar. He just kept going. And I crawl off again. I do that with my cat all the time. Jumps up on the counter and I'm like, get off. Get off. I don't don't kick the cat. I'm kidding. All right. So Jesus understands this. Jesus went through this. 
We talked about it in the song this morning, in the, the hymn this morning. Um, Satan offered Jesus a comfortable life right after he was baptized, right after he came to know him in Matthew 3. In Matthew 4, we, the next scene, he goes into the desert for 40 days. He's, he's starved, doesn't drink, doesn't eat for 40 days. And then in his worst affliction, his worst time, Satan shows up and offers him food to nourish his empty belly. He offers him security, saying, I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. He offers him essentially an opportunity to have a comfortable life, a comfortable existence if he will give up his connection to God. Isn't that all the things we all want? Don't we all want to eat what we want to eat? Don't we all want a roof over our head? Don't we all want enough money to, get, to not just get by, but to flourish? Don't we all want healthy kids and healthy families? Don't we all want, I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Again, I'm the same. I'm, I'm not saying you can't have some comfortable aspects of your life. I'm not saying that God is against that. I am saying that if you value being comfortable over being obedient, you're in trouble. And that's the reason we often miss God. Because we're not where he is. So, Brett, Brett McCracken has this eight points, eight signs your Christianity is too comfortable. Are you ready? Okay, point one. There is no friction between your Christianity and your politics. He says this, a faith that aligns perfectly with one political party is suspiciously convenient and lacks prophetic witness. Do you think that's true? Are the Democrats the Christian party? Are the Republicans the Christian party? The answer is no. Beginning of the book of Joshua, when Joshua is getting ready to fight a battle and he's praying to the Lord, an angel of the Lord shows up and Joshua says, Hey, are you on their side or on my side? Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican like me? And the angel says, I'm not on either y'all's side. I'm on God's side. Which side are you on? There's not one political party that lines up with what Christ would call us to do. And yet I repeatedly see Christians, and this is not Gretna Christians per se, this is Christians across the country, aligning with one political party or another, even though the things, the agenda they're pushing doesn't line up. Doesn't line up with where, we would, where God would have us be. God has a very different perspective on how we should deal with illegal aliens. That's a tough one because that hits our comfortable very hard, very hard. It hits our sense of justice very hard. But is that where God would have us be? That's something we, need, we should be willing to wrestle with and not just pronounce, not just sit on one side of the fence because it helps us be more comfortable. 
or because it helps us feel better. The political agenda in the world, none of them matches up with God's agenda. None of them. Bits and pieces, yes. But fully, no. So if you're comfortable being a lifelong Republican or a lifelong Democrat or a lifelong Independent, whatever that is, Libertarian, I'm going to challenge you and say, are you really doing what God would have you do? Because none of those agendas line up completely with who our God is. The second one is this. There are no paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions in your faith. A healthy faith constantly rocks you, prods you, and leaves you restless to want to know more about who our God is. If you're just comfortable, your faith is what it is, you've probably stopped growing. It's called growing pains for a reason. God will constantly challenge us throughout our lives. If you've gotten to a place in your faith where you're no longer asking questions or wondering why or trying to figure out more of what, who God is and what he desires from us, you have probably chosen to be comfortable over being obedient to pursuing him. Next, your friends and coworkers are surprised to learn that you are a church-going Christian. He says it this way, a comfortable Christian life is one who easily blends in, looking, talking, and acting just like his or her lost neighbors. We are not meant to look, act, and talk just like everybody else. And yet, I don't, I don't know about you, but I really like blending in. D, you never think about or even remember the Sunday sermon on Monday. E, no one at your church ever annoys you. Okay. If you go to a church with people who are always easy to talk to, always fun to be around, and always closely aligned with your opinions, tastes, and preferences, your Christianity is too comfortable means you're keeping it very surface. Because I don't know about you, but aside from me, because I'm clearly perfect, everybody should annoy you at some point if you're in a deep relationship with them. They're probably not gonna agree with you. Like, I don't know, Diane, is Jim annoying you this morning by going like this? Uh, maybe just a little, okay. If you think about the people in your life that annoy you the most, who annoys you the most? Don't say it out loud. But I think we all know the people in your life that annoy you the most are the people you're closest to. It's the people you're closest to. So if nobody ever annoys you at church, are you very close to them? Probably not because we've all got stuff. And yet we said that one of the ways we know the comfort of God is present or that he brings comfort to us is when we are with other people in our times of distress. And how many of us silo ourselves when things are going bad? We don't tell others. I am so grateful for those who bring prayer requests and let me know when somebody's going in the hospital. There are a few people that I find out after the fact they've been in, they had major surgery, and they're out. And it's because 
I didn't know. If you are connected, truly connected to the people of God, the people who are part of the source of the comfort you could have in your affliction, they will annoy you sometimes. They will disagree with you sometimes. As I said, Peter and Paul disagreed with each other, and yet they called each other brothers in Christ. Yet they were willing to listen to one another. And what I think is really, really amazing is Peter, this, this man who is, is the, the, the rock on which God will build his church, right? He is the one proven wrong. And he is the one who says, you know what? I was wrong. That wouldn't have happened if Paul hadn't been willing to get in his face. Right? If... We are really close. We will annoy each other because we will challenge each other. Because we will disagree sometimes. Being hateful is not okay. But I think we stop before just being annoyed. I think we throw our hands in the air and walk away and say, I don't need that in my life. People are messy. Right? Okay. Next one, you're never, you are never ch feel challenged at church, only affirmed. A healthy faith doesn't just celebrate you as you are, but relentlessly molds you and refines you into the likeness of Christ, which is a beautiful but necessarily uncomfortable process. If you come to church and you leave church every week or you leave reading scripture every week or or every day when you read scripture or, and you just feel like, yep, I'm doing everything exactly right. We need to talk because I need to be just like you. Because I do not do everything right. Scripture should convict. Sermons should convict. Bible studies should require more of us. They should help mold us. And as he says, it's not going to be easy all the time. And yet, I don't know about you, but I like to avoid things that chip away at me because that's uncomfortable and I don't like it. This is a fun one. You have never had a truth and love conversation with a fellow Christian. He goes on to say, love isn't opposed to truth and if your faith doesn't include the capacity to speak Hard truths in love, it is too comfortable. How often do we see people around us making decisions that are destroying their lives? People we claim to know and love and be family with, and yet we will stand back and just go, man, that's so sad. Instead of walking up to them and saying, this is a problem, and I'm not telling you because I hate you, but because I love you and I wanna help you fix it. Are you ready for that conversation? Nobody's ready for it. <laughs> Nobody wants it, but isn't it supposed to happen? Right? It's supposed to happen. Finally, his last point is no one in your church could comment on any growth that they've seen from you. And that could be over your entire life as a Christian, if you've just come to know the Lord, but even if you've known Christ for 40 years, 
Are you still growing? Are you still changing? Are you still becoming more of who God intends you to be? Because that is an eternal journey and process. There is God is so much greater than we are that honestly, our little short time on earth, we're just touching the surface. There should never be a time when we're not growing anymore. When the word of God suddenly has no value to us, I've got it all, I get it, I'm good. Where our relationships are perfect. Here's an interesting one. There is no spiritual retirement that doesn't exist. We retire from our jobs. We do not retire from our journey with God. There is no time for rest there. You find rest in his presence, not rest from avoiding his presence. So these are, are these not all things that we are called to live out as followers of Christ? Is there anything on this list that you saw that you thought, no, that's not what God would call us to do or be? It's a loaded question. I don't think there is. When push comes to shove, I don't think there was anything on that list of eight things that you would go, nope, I don't think God's calling us to that. And yet, if you were going through the list of eight things, how many of them applied to you or me? And yet we wonder why we are missing the comfort of God, and maybe it's because we're not willing to step into the things that God is calling us to step into. You ever thought that maybe you haven't experienced the fullness of God, not because you can't identify it or tell what it is or even know how it works, but that you just haven't bothered to be put in a position to have to actually use it and apply it? Because reading a clock is not that hard. In all seriousness, folding up a map, it's a pain, but it's doable, right? Taking the film out of a camera, totally doable. If you've actually practiced, if, if you've actually done it a few times, and yet we spend a lot of time trying to avoid even getting in those situations, that would allow us to put the comfort of God to work and let him comfort us. So let's, let's get into our scripture. It's going, to be sec, it's going to be 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. It says, Blessed be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. There's our phrase. Now here's where it gets interesting. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And I hope, and our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. The true function of God's comfort is this. God provides comfort in affliction, not comfort from affliction. 
I have a friend who used to tell me um, that a phrase he used often was, he would ask you a question. He would say, what does faith in the Lord protect you from? And his answer was, nothing. It doesn't protect you from tragedy. It doesn't protect you from difficulty. It doesn't protect you from affliction. It doesn't protect you from challenges. In fact, this scripture pretty abundantly says that as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, it's a given. It's not an if. It's not an avoidable option. It's a given. It will happen. God's not trying to protect you from every big hairy monster around the corner. God wants you to trust him when the big hairy monster comes around the corner and give you the comfort and the courage to stand in its face and say, go away and not run away from it. Because our immediate response is almost always run away from it, crawl off the altar, get away. So what can we learn from this scripture? The first thing is this comfort, not comfortable. Comfort has a single source. It is God himself. You will not find your comfort somewhere else. You will not find your comfort in a bottle. You will not find your comfort in a porn addiction. You will not find your comfort in a relationship. Another human being cannot make you whole. You realize that, right? Only God can make you whole. You will not find this comfort that you seek for your soul, this healing that we all desire. You will not find that in your affliction. You will not find that anywhere but through God himself. The rest of it is fluff that will go away and fade off in its effectiveness. It's a Band-Aid for a major surgery. The next one is comfort can only be understood if we are willing to first be uncomfortable. He comforts us in our affliction. Remember, not from our affliction, but in, so that we may be able to comfort those who are of any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Adam McHugh challenges us this way. He says, we must put away our convenient notions of God, the one who always agrees with us, the one who always favors our nation or our political agenda, the one who feeds us candy and never vegetables. I like candy. Don't you like candy? Absolutely. I want God to keep me comfortable. I'll be really honest and transparent. I want him to keep me comfortable. I like it when he's not pushing me. I like it when he's just saying, good job, Rob. That's awesome. You're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. I'll see you in heaven later. Who doesn't like that? Sometimes, though, I don't need to eat candy. Goodness knows I don't need to eat candy. Sometimes I need to eat vegetables. <laughs> Sometimes I need what's good for me, whether I like it or not. And so often we choose what we're going to do or not do in God's service based on what we like or don't like. And often what we like or don't like is based on whether or not we're comfortable. Including sharing the gospel. Including 
having difficult conversations. We choose not to do those things because we don't like it. We'd much rather our faith be filled with candy than the things we really need in order to grow. Okay, verse 5, we learn this. Comfort in affliction transforms us for a godly purpose. This is such a powerful thing. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. I have a friend who's, his name's Dean Hammock, and Dean has struggled through, and I'm only telling you his name because he would tell you to tell me to say his name, it's fine. Uh, Dean was in the military for a number of years and got injured in the military. And after he got injured in the military, he started taking narcotics. And as he started to take narcotics, what do you think happened? And it started a 10-year struggle for him. Destroyed a marriage, lost his kids. Struggle, a nightmare of an affliction for him. But 20 years later, Dean is a drug and alcohol counselor who's able to take the experience he's had and teach others how to not experience it. To find the comfort that only comes from God and not in the drug they were taking. The truth is, if you've been through something very, very difficult and God has pulled you through, you have an opportunity to forward that, to teach that, to be a comfort to somebody else in God. Do you want me to back up? To be, to be a comfort to some, I think this is a plot to keep me on the stage. To be, I'm kidding, to be, maybe, to be, to be a comfort to somebody else who's already been through such a thing. But can I tell you, if you are constantly avoiding anything that might be difficult or make you uncomfortable, how much value can you be to somebody else who has to deal with the same thing? Now, am I saying you should go out and get addicted to drugs immediately so you can counsel people? That's a big fat negative, Batman. Don't do that. I am saying... If you're avoiding a tough conversation, if you're avoiding, I don't know, take your pick on any one of these lists of things. If you're avoiding having a real relationship with somebody because they might annoy you, how are you going to help others get through difficult relational times if you yourself aren't willing to have a real relationship? Would you trust a marriage counselor who's never been married? Do you trust a chef who is super skinny? No! They're not tasting the food, man. All right. Right? But it's totally true. If you desire to be helpful to those around you, to your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your coworkers, you have to be willing to take on the difficult challenges of life so that you can pay forward that knowledge and that comfort to them later. If you're busy avoiding them, 
then your witness to them about who our Lord is and the presence he can have in your life is muted. Spend your life avoiding everything that might cause you discomfort. You're going to miss God working. You're going to miss an opportunity to grow, and you're going to miss an opportunity to bless others. Verse 6, it says, When we suffer for our brothers, it gives them comfort that they too can endure. One of Paul's greatest witnesses was to be this person who was thrown in jail on multiple occasions to be this person who was beaten to the point of death and still did what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not some athletics thing that says you can jump through a roof because I can do it all because Christ strengthens me. The context of that is Paul is saying, I'm in prison, I'm nearing death, life stinks, I hate it but I can endure. I have the strength to do that because it is Christ who strengthens me. Your witness, your ability to endure the challenges of life has power beyond anything you can recognize for encouraging others to get through. And I I would encourage you to say this, if you are in a place where you are afflicted, where life stinks, or you've been there already and you've come out the other side, please share that. Because you don't know who else is going through something similar. You have no idea. And they just may need you to say, there's light on the other side of the tunnel. They just may need you to say, I've, done, I've been there and done that and God will carry you through just like he carried me. They may need that. But if you never tell anybody, how can you be an encouragement to others who need that encouragement so badly? I I encourage you to come on March 29th when a member of Reggie's church is going to tell her story. Um, Her story will light you on fire. She has been through some stuff and come out the other side and will tell anybody who's willing to listen who her God is and what he's done. And I promise you, you will gain encouragement and the patience to endure what you're going through based on what she has gone through. That is her testimony. And it should be all of our testimonies. And yet we avoid them often telling those things because it's what? uncomfortable. We have a few members of our body through this year who are going to share their stories. As uncomfortable as it may make them, they're going to share them. And I applaud that courage. So just wait through this year. We're already on the calendar, and I'm just waiting to see what God does. Finally, verse 7 says this, when we suffer for Christ together, we are bonded by the sharing of God's comfort. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. 
you've ever, I'm not going to go down the steps, if you've ever started to. Um, one of the wonderful things, not one, it comes out of a horrible situation, but if you've ever been in, in war with somebody, shoulder to shoulder being shot at and shooting back and just trying to survive together, there is story after story of people who come out of those things didn't know, didn't know each other from anyone when they went in, but when they come back out, what are they? They are brothers in arms. We even have a term for it. There's something about going through a shared experience together, honestly, good or bad, that draws us closer to one another. But if we're always trying to avoid the shared experiences that make us uncomfortable. Will we ever have that bond? The answer is no. If we're trying to live our faith in a silo, if I'm trying to keep this relationship between me and God and I'm trying to avoid anything that might make me feel uncomfortable, we will never have that connection to him or to each other, because it works in the relationship with God too. If you're willing to go through an experience and let him comfort you all the way through it, you will come out the other side stronger in your bond with him because he has shared the sufferings with you. He died on a cross and he will share in the comfort with you. And it doesn't have to be huge things may feel huge to you, but I'm not talking about, you know, you have to go be willing to be shot at in a war zone in a foreign country. I have a friend who came to visit me on Thursday who's going to be in Armenia for the next two years. I applaud him. It's a Muslim country. He's going to be attacked. He's going to be beat on. He's going to be, it's going to be rough. I'm not saying you all need to do that. I am saying be willing to do something that makes you uncomfortable if you know that is what God would have you do. And as hard as that is, the more you do it, guess what? The easier it gets. The easier it gets. The first time I ever spoke in front of a church, I took my son with me. I took CJ with me. He was 18 months. And I took him with me because I needed a security blanket right? I put him between me and the, the evil crowd that was going to get it, get me, right? It was purely a safety mechanism. And I took him up there to do not a sermon, but a two-minute talk about communion and why communion was important and why coming together was important and why it matters. And I asked him, I said, CJ, do you love your mommy? And he said, yes. And I said, CJ, even at 18 months, do you love pizza? Yes, that's never gone away. But then I said, CJ, do you love coming to church? And he said, no. I love that he said what he was thinking, right? But that offended some people. It annoyed them that I would let my kids say that. I let him say it because it was the truth. 
And I let him say it because I wanted us to understand that though we do not always see eye to eye, and though we do not always get along with one another, God still brings us together under him. I'm going to challenge you over the next month to be willing to be uncomfortable because that's what God has called us to. And if you ever want to find, truly find the comfort of God, you have to get past that first. You have to get past that first or you will never see him in all of his fullness and greatness. You will miss out. You will not be bonded with him or one another the way we would all hope and desire to be. Part of the first thing we did was move the service around. How many of you noticed we did did a hymn and jumped right into a sermon, right? Right. I, hey, Rebecca, could you go get the kids? It's about time we need to go get them. Thank you. I appreciate your help. Um, we did. How many of you were made uncomfortable by it? Okay. I had somebody this week tell me this, that they were totally uncomfortable right out of the gate. When, as soon as they saw the list, they were like, what is going on? Right? Because it does. Can I just tell you if something this little, little makes you uncomfortable? We got a ways to go. Because at the end of the day, moving the service around, is it really that big a deal? And you know what's really funny? I'm, I'm monologuing now. You know what's really funny about things that we find to be uncomfortable that we avoid? Oftentimes, if we just do it, what do we find out? It was just not that bad. You survived, you lived, you got through it, and maybe you even grew from it. Like Jennifer, where's Jennifer? See, you talked for a month, right? Every Sunday for a month. It took me six months to get her to do it. And she's ready to do it again next week, right? <laughs> what I thought. So... So the big question is, uh, is God okay with his people being comfortable? I think he is, if we're comfortable following his lead. That's the only place he really wants us to be comfortable. So what's next? What's next in our service is our offering time. So if you are doing the talent offering today, I would love for you to start to work your way up here. I know who you are, right? That may or may not be why I had the kids come back in. When Paul, you can come on up. When Paul saw this this week, he was like, uh, my accompanist is gonna be in with the kids. I said, we can fix that, right? We can make that work. So I would like to offer us a prayer as we, as we get the offering plates out. And then after the talent offering, uh, Nita is gonna speak for a few minutes on something called Gifts with Grace. Maybe you saw the little display out there. We're gonna be... I hope doing something grand in God's name this month. That is my hope. And then I will close with our normal church prayer. Well, I'll pray for our church, and then we will, uh, actually, then we will do praise and worship songs last. And does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because if it does, I'm going to say, good. Okay? 
So let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you are there to be the God of all comfort. Lord, we, we pray in our that we will not confuse the difference between what it means to be in your comfort and to be comfortable. That you are always calling us to something amazing. That you're calling us to grow and to be your witnesses and to be your people in this earth and to have hope that, that goes beyond any explainable hope that anyone else in this world might have that doesn't have you. Because when we are that hopeful, when we believe that strongly that you will carry us into eternity, should we not be able to look past those temporary things that make us uncomfortable and see the eternal comfort that we will experience in you for all time? Father God, as we prepare for our offering today, I ask that you would you would lighten our hearts and, and minds and help us to remember that, you know, we give from what we've been given and that you do not need our money, that this is just an opportunity for us to participate with you in the work that you desire to do in the world. And we are humbled by that opportunity. I pray that you will be with Paul and Paula today as they offer their talents on up to you to glorify you and to strengthen one another. I thank you and pray that you will bless all that comes today. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. Okay, so as I'm gonna offer some prayers here. These, these were, what? Oh, Nita's gonna talk, Never mind. I said that, right? Next uh, few weeks, members of the board are gonna be talking every week, just for a couple of minutes, just like Nita, um, and kind of saying, this is this is why, right? This is why we do this. This is um, why we're drawn to it, and this is what we hope to see. And as Nita said, we hope you can make a love offering anytime between now and the 22nd, but we hope on the 22nd that we will, we will take a special offering, and we hope to meet a goal, right? Um, this church has traditionally been amazing at meeting such goals. And, and I pray that we will do the same again because um, these women have spent an incredible amount of energy seeking God's will and God's desire for what he wants to see happen. And they are obediently going out and doing it even if they're uncomfortable doing it. And I don't know what I can say that would make me more excited right now to see people living past what they're not comfortable with and doing what God is calling them to do. I'm gonna take a few moments now to read uh, some of our prayers as our worship band comes forward. Uh, these are prayers that were given. Uh, if you saw one of our prayer team members out front, they have one out there every Sunday, or I'm gonna read anything that's been put on the on the app since we, since we started service today. Uh, Susan Bechtel would like prayers for Cindy B. It's a friend of hers. Uh, she has test Monday for surgery on Tuesday for complications from her cancer. Uh, Tim Smith is in need of our prayers. Jan has asked for prayers. He uh, still needs surgery, more surgery to deal with some of his challenges. We're just not sure which direction they're gonna go or when it's gonna happen yet, right? So continue to pray for him. 
Uh, we'd like to say, Susan would like to say a praise of thank you. I'd love to read this off. It says, thanks to everyone who brought in goodies and gave generous monitor, monetary donations and the, one who gave $15, and the one who gave $15 McDonald's gift cards for each of our students for the student gift boxes she did. It took all of you to fill the 14 boxes to the top. A special thanks to those who came Tuesday to put uh, the boxes together. Peggy Smith, Nancy Beatty, Heather Starnes, Beth Plank, Vianne Clark, and Paul, and also Kathy Fullerton, or Paul Deardorff and Kathy Fullerton for all your help. Praying all of that our goodie boxes are a blessing and that they are as a reminder of God's love for each of our students. Thank you, Susan Bechtel. Um, and I would also like to pray for, as my daughter brought forth, for my wife, who's at home laid up. She's going to be off her feet for five weeks. And if you know Heather, sitting on the couch for five weeks, you should pray for her, and you should probably pray for all of us. Right. So I will, I, will, I will pray, offer prayer, and then you guys will lead us in worship, right? No, he's not. He's home. He came home last night. Keith came home last night from the hospital round, I don't know, I've lost track, round five, round six. Um, if you have it on your heart, Deb and Keith, turn off the recorder or turn off the app if you're listening. Um, if you have it on your heart, driving back and forth to Columbus constantly, eating out constantly just to be there with their husband, that's an expensive endeavor. Um, they would never ask for financial help. They could use it. So if you have an opportunity or a willingness to, to help them out a little bit, that would be well-received. We would make sure it got to them and it would be anonymous. They would never know where it came from, just that it came from somebody here in this church. That'd be great. All right, you can turn it back on now. Um, so let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the strength that you offer us. We are listening here to the, the cries of our hearts. You've heard those that we know that are in pain or suffering. Um, we pray that you will comfort them in that affliction. And that if we can be an, someone who is your hands and feet that can offer that comfort, we pray that we will have the opportunity to do so and the courage to do it. Lord God, we know that you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, and that you are all-loving. And we pray that in our, our most difficult times that, that we will be able to see your presence. I pray special blessings over Keith and Deb and the cycle of, of health issues they're having. I pray that you will... Um, that you will do yet another miraculous thing with him and that you will guard the hearts of Deb and the girls as they too go on this roller coaster. Remind them that they are loved. Remind them that you are present. Father God, I, I wanna thank you that Gary Hudson is in Logan Acres, that that is where he believes he needs to be and where his family believes he needs to be. And I pray that he will receive wonderful care there. Uh, that he will be loved and he will be on the road to recovery to get back home soon. God, we thank you for your strength, your mercy, and your grace, and I pray that this time of worship will be one that glorifies you 
and brings strength to each other as we seek to do your will in this world. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. And if everybody would stand, let's get to worshiping.